Speak, O Lord, for your servants listen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. This is a poem by the 20th century poet Charles Causley. It's called I Am the Great Sun. I am the great sun, but you do not see me. I am your husband, but you turn away. I am the captive, but you do not free me. I am the captain, you will not obey. I am the truth, but you will not believe me. I am the city where you will not stay. I am your wife, your child, but you will leave me. I am the God to whom you will not pray. I am your counsel, but you do not hear me. I am the lover whom you will betray. I am the victor, but you do not cheer me. I am the holy dove whom you will slay. I am your life, but if you will not name me, seal up your soul with tears and never blame me. Charles Causley. You may remember that last week we were talking about the story of Nicodemus in John's Gospel. And here we are today again in John's Gospel listening to another one of his stories. Last week I talked about how John creates or frames the beginning of his gospel as a way of trying to tell us a story about who Jesus is. So he starts with the prologue of John's gospel. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God. And those words are a recapitulation of the opening words of Genesis, of course. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So John is, as it were, reframing the entire creation of the world in terms of Jesus. That's the prologue. Then we move on to the proclamation by John the Baptist, behold the Lamb of God, Jesus once again as the Lamb who is sacrificed. So word of God, creator of everything, but now also the one sent to be sacrificed. Then we have the wedding feast of Cana in Galilee, on the third day, you'll remember, turning the water into wine, the resurrection, the marriage of God to his people. Then the cleansing of the temple, where you meet God in the temple, now Jesus. And then we have the story of Nicodemus, where Nicodemus, this leader of the Pharisees, is utterly perplexed. And Jesus says to him, you need to be born again of the spirit and of water which Nicodemus doesn't understand. And so Jesus goes back and tells him that this is the faith of Abraham that you have failed to grasp. And in that, Jesus is effectively saying that to be born again as one of God's children, as one of the true children of Abraham, you need to be born with faith from the spirit and from water. In other words, it's beyond the law. It's going back beyond circumcision, beyond the giving of law and Moses to the promise of Abraham. And that promise, if you remember, 
God spoke to Abraham and said, you will be a blessing to all nations. And here we are now in the next story after Nicodemus. And the next story after Nicodemus is this extraordinary story where Jesus, who's been baptizing in the River Jordan himself, well, he hasn't been baptizing, his disciples have been baptizing, and he's heading back from the Jordan to Galilee. And in order to get from the Jordan back to Galilee, he has to go through Samaria. Think of modern-day Israel. Think of going from the Jordan through the West Bank of Palestine as a Jew back to the other side of the West Bank. Think of the tensions between Palestinian and Jew, and you get an idea of the relationship between Jews and Samaritans. It was violent, it was dangerous, it was a place you didn't hang around. And here we have this story where Jesus is sitting by a well in Samaria, outside a Samaritan town, while his disciples have gone to look for some food. And from this Samaritan town comes this lone woman. And she comes and she meets this stranger, clearly a Jew, sitting there, who starts talking to her. Remember that what we're talking about here in John's Gospel is Jesus having just explained to Nicodemus that the Spirit of God goes beyond the Jewish law. It has no boundaries. The wind of God blows where it will. Well, here we are with the wind of God blowing beyond the boundaries. And Jesus says to this woman, give me a drink. Now, if you turn the tables around and imagine that you are this woman in Samaria, and you come and you meet a Jewish man at a well who doesn't speak to Samaritans, let alone to a woman, and he asks her for a drink of water. Well, what's that about? Is this really about a drink of water? Or is he after something else? So she says to him, why are you asking me for a drink of water? How is it that you, a Jew, ask of me, a woman of Samaria, for a drink? And this Jewish man replies to her and says, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Well, living water is just the normal Hebraic term for running water. That's what living water is. It means water that's moving, not still water. Water in the well is still water. Water in a stream is running water, living water. So there's nothing particularly unusual about this, except, of course, there isn't any running water around at the moment. If you knew the gift of God and who it is that says, give me a drink, you would ask and he would have given you living water. So what's this man, this stranger, talking to her about living water, running water? Is he talking about something else? Is this a double entendre, a double speak? Remember, of course, 
as we're about to find out a little later, that she's quite a liberal lady. She's had five husbands, and the one she's with at the moment isn't her husband. So she's quite used to talking to men and knowing what they want. And here's one saying, you'll give her some living water. So Jesus says to her, everyone who drinks of this water will never be thirsty again. The water I will give will spring up in them, gushing to eternal life. What is he talking about? Eternal life, ancestry, children. The woman says, sir, give me this water that I may never be thirsty again. I have to keep coming here to draw water. Is he offering to take her away somewhere? Jesus is clearly aware of the line of her thinking because now he turns the conversation around and he says, go and call your husband. Oh, we're not actually talking about running away together after all, are we? The woman says, I have no husband. And here, of course, we have this prophecy then. You're right saying, I have no husband. You've had five, and the one you are with now is not your husband. What you have said is true. And that turns the key. Because all of a sudden, she realises that the person who's been talking to her isn't just another Jewish bloke. Someone here for a ride. Someone exercising chat-up lines. Sir, I see you are a prophet. All of a sudden, the whole conversation has changed its meaning. And she says to him, our ancestors worship on this mountain, but you say we worship in Jerusalem. Is this a distraction? Is this a sideline? No. She realizes now she's met somebody who's listening to God. And she wants to know, where do we encounter God? Our people say on this mountain, you Jews say in Jerusalem, where's God? And then Jesus says, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain, listen to this, nor in Jerusalem. How can a Jew say that? How can a Jewish rabbi, prophet, teacher say you will worship the Father not in Jerusalem. John is exploding the myth of the temple. Jesus is the temple. That's the point. John's gospel is the gospel of the Spirit. It's the gospel of the Holy Spirit of God who blows where he will. Living water, of course, takes us all the way back to that passage that we listened to in Exodus where the Israelites in the desert have just been given the manna because they were in the desert and they had nothing to eat. So they complained at God and they got given the manna. And here they are now complaining that they've got nothing to drink. And Moses gives them the water from the rock. Well, the rock, of course, is the rock of God. And Jesus is the manna, but he's also the spring of living water. It's Jesus who's feeding and giving water to his people in the desert 
through the Spirit. The Spirit is known as the water. So Jesus talks to this woman, and she, having listened to him, Jesus says, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. And she says, I know the Messiah is coming who is called Christ. Because, you see, the Messiah means the anointed one, the one anointed by God's spirit. So she's right on track now. She's caught up with him and she's with him. And she says, I know he's coming. There's a thirst in her heart. And she's responding now and saying, yes, I can see what you're saying. When he comes, he will proclaim all things to us, she says. And then Jesus says it. I am he. Later on, of course, in the rest of the passage, we've got the disciples coming back and they've got some food and they offer it to Jesus. And Jesus says this enigmatic thing to him. I've had food that you don't know about. My food is to do the will of him who sent me. Because this encounter has actually fed Jesus. Because this woman has responded to him, that has fed him. The gift of the Spirit is what this is all about. The gift of becoming God's people. Paul in his letter to the Romans talks about being given this gift. And the gift of the Spirit is this, to make us like God. What does that mean? It means it gives us the ability to love as God loves. What does that love look like? It means giving without expecting anything in return. God's gift was to save us when we were still turned away from him. When we still rejected, turned our backs, he sends his son. And that love is what we're called to reflect. If we give expecting something in return, we're not giving. Love never expects anything. If we say to somebody or give something to someone and then hold it over them, oh, well, we did such and such for them. We expect something back in return. Oh, they didn't return something to me or, well, they didn't treat me the way I treated them. Anytime we try and turn around something that we've done for somebody, as if it's a kind of an obligation then for someone to do something back for us. It means we've not given it at all. We've used it as a way of controlling or manipulating somebody. And that's not love. Love is to give and never expect a return. It's to give in order to release the other person. To give life. Life doesn't demand anything back. Love never pulls back somebody. Love only releases. That's who we are called to be. People of the Spirit of God. 
It doesn't mean that we'll get out of things easily. Paul talks about suffering. We boast in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. Endurance, character, character, hope. And hope does not disappoint. Why? Because the Spirit of God is in us. So let us learn to listen to God, receive his Spirit, and allow that living water to flow from us into the world, giving life to others, to give and not to count the cost. Amen.